Hi, I'm Matt Waller, Dean of the Sam M. Walton College of Business. Welcome to Be Epic, the podcast where we explore excellence, professionalism, innovation, and collegiality, and what those values mean in business, education, and your life today. I have with me today Marat Davletchen, who is a PhD student in the Department of Supply Chain Management in the Walton College, and he's doing some really groundbreaking research on the use of networks in understanding supply chain management. Would you mind telling me a little bit about what is a supply network? Sure, absolutely. You know, a supply network is usually, um, it's a set of a firm's direct and indirect uh, contacts. Uh, it's direct suppliers, direct customers, and their own suppliers and their own uh, customers. It's like in our social world, uh, we, we have friends. Uh, right, and those friends have their own friends. So we might even not know friends of friends, uh, but they they are in our networks. So uh, to me, it's not a supply chain; it's a supply network. A chain is is a very simple network where nodes are sequentially connected to one another. So um, it's been our fundamental perspective for many years and it, it, it has yielded a lot of fundamental insights for, for us as, as, as a discipline. But uh, when we look at uh, modern companies, it's really hard to imagine that uh, each company has only one supplier, right? And that supplier has only one su supplier. So from what we see in our research, it's essentially um, companies, especially the big ones, they have extraordinary systems of uh, suppliers and customers that are interlinked um, together. And we see a lot of stuff, not, not just physical goods, not just money flow, flowing around those uh, systems. It's also information, it's ideas, it's knowledge, and it's power. So as we get data, and this is pretty much the first time in our history when we can get some idea about what those uh, networks are. So, so we can measure and quantify those structures and we can see what structures uh, facilitate um, you know, um, knowledge diffusion uh, or uh, diffusion of ideas, uh, practices. Now, as your research has shown, when companies understand the subtle nuances of their, their supply networks, and the networks they're a part of, it can actually give them a competitive advantage. Could you give me a concrete example that would be maybe not business-oriented, but something that people could really understand, a story or something? I think a good example comes from, um, um, from uh, the early American hi history. Um, on, a, on an April night, in uh, 1775, um, two men rode the same distance from um, Boston to Le Lexington. Uh, the two men were uh, Paul Revere and uh, William Dawson. They rode from, uh, through, through the same number of towns. Um, they rode the same number of miles. And they carried the same message that the British Army was coming to um, arrest the um, colonial leaders and seize the colonial um, arms and, 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 and ammunition. So their goal was to um, deliver the message through, um, through the communities around um, uh, Boston. Now, what happened was that uh, Paul Revere, Paul Revere's message actually spread like, like, a, like a wildfire. 
Now, William Dawson's message didn't, uh, didn't quite catch uh, fire. Um, and uh, what we see now is uh, that uh, Paul Revere is, uh, in, in, um, has a statue in, uh, in downtown Boston. Yeah. Right? We have a poem uh, by Longfellow um, actually glorifying Paul, Paul Revere's right. But um, unfortunately, nobody remembers w William Dawson. So um, the evidence suggests that um, um, it was actually network. So, so the network amplified Paul Revere's message. And the same network actually uh, kind of dampened William Dawson's uh, message. And remember, it's, it's the same message across, you know, uh, very close, um, uh, across uh, the same number of towns. So um, <clears throat> historians, um, suggests that, um, evidence suggests that um, uh, Paul Revere actually thought in network terms. So when he was, when he would comment uh, upon a, a town, he would knock, he didn't have time, he didn't have much, much time, so he would knock on the right door, right? So he would, uh, he would warn just one person or a couple of people and then move on, move on to, to the next town. But he would warn the right people. So. Um, so he uh, intuitively understood that those people would spread the message to, uh, uh, to their own context, who would spread to, um, to the next, um, to the next uh, town. So um, in other words, um, uh, somehow intuitively he, he understood the structure, the social structure of, of, uh, of that community. Um, it was a cluster structure and a lot of intercluster, cross-cluster ties. So, while William Dawson um, sort of thought about the network as one big cluster, uh, Paul Revere thought about that network as a, as a system of clusters connected uh, through uh, uh, cross-cluster cl ties. So he, uh, historians suggest that he intuitively chose the right people to, to deploy those uh, cross-cluster ties and make sure that um, uh, you know, the message um, um, traveled through um, as many uh, communities and towns as, as, as possible. So stock analysts perform analyses to understand and forecast firms' stock prices, earnings per share, et cetera, et cetera. And they really are important um, intermediaries between firms and capital markets because investors follow their forecasts. And they compete with one another on forecast accuracy. Based on your research, do you think that if they, if they did network analyses, supply network analyses, do you think they can improve their accuracy or at least know which forecasts are more accurate than others? Absolutely. That, this is a great question. This is what we actually see in our research. We took all the data that available to uh, equity analysts for their analysis. Of course, they don't do network analysis like we do it. Uh, I mean, yes, they are important in, in intermediaries between uh, firms and capital markets. And in fact, their forecast can uh, make companies flourish or perish. And they are trying to understand what's, what's going on around companies by diving deep into their supply networks. Now, as they look deeper, they are really confronted by complexity because uh, the further we go from the firm, the more and more companies we uh, see in the network. Uh, so all those interconnections can really confuse an analyst. And we ask ourselves, does it really help them to uh, go deeper? 
And um, our research shows that yes, they, they can go deeper, but they have to be careful because some structures do facilitate some, some networks. For example, clustered networks, they do um, help analysts uh, make uh, better decisions. Now, small world net networks in which clusters are interconnected by a, a large number of intercluster ties, they can really hinder uh, the accuracy. So an analyst could potentially study a supply network and say, because this firm is a part of this kind of supply network, my forecasts are probably not going to be as accurate as they will for these firms. Yes, yes. And um, I would say that this is one of the actionable insights that this research provides. So when an analyst is aware that um, a company's network has a small world structure, the analysts must go to you know, some, some other source because he or she would know that uh, this structure can actually mask camouflage or some important dynamics of risk diffusion. So it's possible that a firm could be a part of a network, supply network, that would make it hard to forecast accurately. And so an, another firm, firm A might be a part of a, a network that lends itself to forecasting and another one, firm B, doesn't. So if I'm investing in firms, firms like firm A are kind of safer bets because I can forecast more accurately. Firms like firm B are less accurate, so maybe I should use options, an options strategy. Have you, have you thought through those kinds of things yet? I think uh, that the structure of a company's supply network uh, definitely affects the, an investment strategy that you would uh, choose when you are considering one firm over the other. At the very least, I think, to understand how the company is embedded into the whole economy, you should do more research. You should um, you know, come to the Walton College of Business and ask us how, how the company is embedded. And we'll, we'll tell you more. The best investment decisions must have some, some understanding uh, of, of a company's environment and how it is embedded in, into its own environment. When you look at a company like Apple, which has an incredible you know, market capitalization, you know, they, they recently talked about upgrading some of their technology to be um, 5G enabled, and that affected their stock price. How did it affect their network? Well, I remember uh, in, in March, Stock analysts from uh, Bank of America, Merrill Lynch, issued a forecast for a very, a very positive forecast for, for Apple, and they cited supply chain stability as one of the reasons. Um, some other reasons were, um, you know, the employment of 5G t technology. Um, analysts cited supply chain stability as one of the uh, advantages for uh, Apple. Now, that just that news made the Apple stock price rise. $20 over just a few weeks. Now, in the case of Apple, that's billions of dollars. Uh, analysts do uh, watch supply chains and supply networks of uh, firms. And um, supply chain phenomena do matter. I mean, I, I think this example just shows how much does a supply, can a supply matter for investors, for uh, firms' market cap. Well, you know, if you look at Tesla in 2018, they had an excessive amount of debt on their balance sheet. And it increased uncertainty. And I don't know what it did to the stock volatility. Do, do you know? 
Um, actually, it increased Tesla's stock volatility. It significantly in, in, increased, and uh, it became really hard for Elon Musk and Tesla to uh, to get money from uh, the capital market because it became uh, more difficult and costlier for them to to obtain capital from from the capital market because because of the volatility and, and uncertainty around Tesla. So it was an interesting time, an interesting but difficult time for Tesla because on the one hand it was experiencing problems with launching uh, one of its newer newest models to to the market, and at the same time it had problems. Uh, getting capital, getting money from the capital market because it was uh, because of the uncertainty um, around it. Now, what Tesla did, and I think a lot of companies are doing this, is it started to pinch its direct suppliers. So Elon Musk asked his direct suppliers to reduce prices, to um, extend additional credit, to allow late payments. Um, now, for for suppliers who are dedicated to uh, Tesla. It was a big deal, and of course they they tried their best to um, accommodate accommodate Tesla's requests. Now to do that, they had to borrow themselves, and they had to pinch their own sub suppliers. So the uncertainty around Tesla actually proliferated throughout the um, network. Now you've used some terms a few times and. Like talking about different structures of of networks, but how do you think about this? Like, what are the terms you use to describe different kinds of supply networks? Well, in network theory, um, there are two major terms. A network is a set of nodes connected by ties. A node can can be anything. It can be a firm. It can be a person. It can be a thing that is connected to something else or someone else. So a node is a primary building block of any network. Another term you use is average path length. What's that mean? Now, in, in any network, there is a path from uh, one node to um, any other node. Um, for example, um, a path length from uh, me to my direct friend is one. It's just one, one, one step. Um, the path length is uh, fr from me to a friend of a friend is two. Right, I have to first. I have to call my my friend who would connect me to to his friend. So before I form a tie to the friend of a friend, um, the uh, the length is two. So the distance from from me to um, the friend of a friend is is two. What's amazing is that in our world, um, the average the average distance uh, between all of us, between all eight billion people in the world, is just six. Right, we are we are we are separated by degree of six. It means, uh, on average, it takes six steps to um, reach from one person to reach any, any, any other person in, in the world. So uh, average path length is just an average distance from any node to any other node in a network. And you also mentioned clustering coefficient. What's that? Clustering coefficient refers to uh, Sort of networks within networks. Clusters are those dense communities of uh, nodes. Can be communities of firms, can be communities of people. They are densely interconnected with each other. So we, so what in a clustered network, in other words, in a network with a high clustering co coefficient, we would see um, those communities. A lot of those communities that are 
very interconnected with each other and sort of sparsely connected to other clusters. So these are some of the terms you use to describe networks. You also use the term hub. What's a hub? A hub is a very, very, very well-connected node. Um, in a social world, it would be, think about a celebrity who, who is known by uh, pretty much anywhere in the world. Um, in terms of supply networks, it would be Walmart, right, or Microsoft. So what's the difference between a hub and a cluster? Because you've used those terms as well. I think the best way to think about it is a hub is just a very well-connected node. Um, in a cluster, um, a hub can be in a cluster as well. and It can dominate a cluster. Um, or, or, but at the same time, a cluster can be just, you know, a network within a network. Just a community, just a group of very, very uh, interconnected nodes. Now, they are connected together to, to, to each other. They may not be hubs. A hub is, is, is a node that, that is more connected relative to others in, in, in a network. So a cluster may or may not have hubs. When there's more clustering of a firm's network, how, does that have any impact on the accuracy of the forecasts of the firm's performance? Uh, our research shows that it really does. Um, um, clustering can help analysts to sort of decompose a very complex network into several um, uh, simpler networks. For example, um, think of a cluster as, as a group of companies around a particular product or around a particular manufacturing process. Um, so in a network of a large firm, we'll, ha we'll have firms from uh, many different industries. Uh, so uh, firms in uh, each one of those industries would form a cluster around some um, product or some part or some ma manufacturing pro process. In this case, um, analysts can actually de decompose the, uh, the, the, the big network into those clusters and actually analyze them se separately. Because most of the links, most of those pipes through which a risk can, can travel would be in, in clusters with very few cross-cluster ties. So they can really catch the dynamics of, if, if there is something going on, they can really catch the dynamics. Now, if there is something going on, they, they can really catch it. And they have time to catch it because that thing will, will stay within a cluster, right? It, it, will not, it will not spread through many other clusters. Well, I know we've only touched on a small fraction of all the research you've done on this already. And it's very interesting, it really, you're creating a new way to really look at supply networks. And um, I know this, what we were talking about is really just from one of your three essays in your dissertation. But I think it gives listeners an idea of how vast this area is. And I mean, this could easily be your career from a research perspective. Oh, absolutely. I think the way supply networks uh, both uh, enable and constrain uh, a companies' um, outcomes, their profits and their, their behavior, it's a very fascinating topic for me to, to explore. I think we, we don't know, we're just starting to scratch the surface of how networks affect um, companies. And we're just starting to realize that our world is essentially a networked phenomenon. Um, think about how you met your spouse. In most cases, 
what happened was that somebody made an introduction. So initially, your uh, most significant person in your life wasn't your direct connection. Someone closer to you, your, your friend, uh, decided to make that connection. So if we assume that on average we, we have 20 close friends and uh, each one of those friends also has 20 friends, so it's 20 people one step away from us, and 400 people two steps away from us. If they have 20 friends, that's 8,000 people three steps away from us. This is only about 8,500 people that happen to be connected to you that your spouse actually uh, came from. So networks have tremendous implications for us as, as people for our lives, and they have tremendous implications for companies. Thanks for listening to today's episode of the Be Epic podcast from the Walton College. You can find us on Google, SoundCloud, iTunes, or look for us wherever you find your podcasts. Be sure to subscribe and rate us. You can find current and past episodes by searching be Epic Podcast, one word, that's B-E-E-P-I-C Podcast, and now Be Epic. Be Epic.